Welcome back to Beyond Well. This is the uh, what I'm going to call the closet session, Stephanie. This is taking place in my closet in quarantine. It looks like you're at your office today. Is that right? Yes, I'm at the school today. Yeah. So um, nice to get out. It is so wonderful to talk to Stephanie thornton Plymel, uh, the author of American Daughter. And one of the reasons, and people will understand this, Stephanie, as we get further into your story, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because in our pre-interview, you were so optimistic, so completely sunny. You strike me as one of those women who walks in a room and everybody is like, wow, what did she have for breakfast? Because you just <laughs> have so much joy in your life. Thank you. And if people understood the amount of trauma that you suffered, I think they would want to know, how did you get here? Let's just review very quickly some of the things that Stephanie's gone through. At age four, Stephanie survived a full throttle head-on collision in a mall truck stolen by her mother's boyfriend. At age five, she sat in the back of a van going 70 miles per hour and survived a drunken rollover crash. She was twice physically unscathed, but left mute with trauma, a condition which would come and go for years. She later suffered life-threatening burns due to neglect and became blind in one eye. She became homeless, dependent upon the state of California. She has been abused so many times, I can't even imagine the trauma that sits in your body. And yet now she is a successful CEO of one of the largest interior design schools in the country and obviously a very happy mother, wife, and survivor. Stephanie thornton Plymouth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that introduction. You know, the, the story of your trauma is so compounded. It's like not one thing that happened. It's another thing and another thing and another thing to the point at which I was trying to assimilate, did you, ever, did you ever consider that your life was so much different than other kids your age? Do you remember having a, a thought that this is not the way it's supposed to be? Absolutely. And to be honest, that was one of my coping skills. I saw how people were living. I, I examined how people were living. I always felt shut out and I was on the other side of the tracks completely. You know, I could never have kids to my house. I couldn't have friends over for, you know, what would they see? And any, any rational parent would not let their kid come to my house, of course. So I, I, completely, I completely saw what I wanted in my life. And so, and, and one of the things that I think is so beautiful, Stephanie, is that even as a child, you created this beauty around you, yeah. which is so, such a manifestation of what you do today, helping others learn how to create beautiful homes and interiors. Talk about how you did that as a child, as a coping mechanism for the trauma. Well, there's two really defined stories that I think about, you know, obviously in the prologue of my book, something that impacted me as a child, I was living in the back of my mom's car with my, I was taking care of my little brother who was a year old. I was probably five years old and my sister was six years old. And my mom would just leave us in the back of the car. We wandered out onto the beach and I saw this bus and we went into this bus and I walked in and I'll never forget it. It was completely transformed into a home, it had a stove and a sofa and it was just stayed with me forever. And everybody knows that that's, you know, my bus is my house. I saw the transformation as a child. So the other thing that one of the, I was just thinking about this the other day and, and how I think the spirit, we were living in the motel 
I, the motel was the happiest time of my life because I was helping my mom clean these motels. And for me, that was like accessorizing. I was getting this motel ready for people. I was organizing the little soaps and the shampoos and I was fluffing pillows just like I do as a designer and a stager. I was in heaven. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. The funny thing was, or the interesting thing is that I didn't feel sad that we were living there. I actually felt like we were all in one room. We had a place to sleep. It was so much better than the car. But I saw other people living in the motel and I felt sorry for them as a child. Like that, They looked so sad, but yet I didn't feel sad there. It was my first design job. <laughs> Coming into adulthood and, and finally for the first time really wanting to understand why your mother was so vacant, um, unavailable, uh, disastrous as a parent through that journey of awakening to your mother's own mental illness and her trauma. Well, the, what happened with my mom and I, and this, this really started the whole process of me writing the book, was that you know, I had wanted to come out with my story. I had kind of been living a lie, actually, and not a lie, but just I wasn't really telling people who I was and where I came from. So when I went in to do these interviews, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so for the first time, I found out what had happened to my mom. And that, you know, I talk about that. It's in my book. Um, I find out that my mom had been abducted and gang raped by up to 17 people when she was 10 years old which at that point really as an adult it made sense because she was so mentally ill she was she had these personalities that come from extreme sexual abuse all of it became um it all all my questions were answered knowing what happened to her mm. you know do you, do, do you ever think about i mean your case is so extreme uh, the trauma was so extreme but I think for a lot of people who have had really difficult childhoods, regardless of how the severity, how, this, how bad the severity is, if they went back with curiosity to their own parents' original harm, to the own original trauma, they might find that same level of forgiveness and understanding and compassion that you found with your mom. I think that is such a great observation because I think I am a very curious person. And, but I have to say, I was also very angry. I'm not going to lie. When I started this interview with my mom, she had perpetrated so much on me. You know, she, she really did abandon me at every corner. But after realizing because of what had happened to her, she just didn't have, she didn't, she just couldn't have the mental capacity to be a mother, yet she had all these children. So I think you can go in with a curious heart, a forgiving heart, because really I'm the one who's completely healed from the whole process yeah. rather than living in this angry spot. One of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you today, Stephanie, is because I know it's a horribly difficult time for people. There are so yeah. many people who have lost their jobs. There are so many people who are beginning to lose loved ones um, yeah. to, to COVID-19. And I, and I keep thinking that there is some wisdom that, that can be learned from people like you, even from people like me, who have already had the very worst thing happen in yeah. their lives. And I believe, I really believe that if we move through the five stages of grief, you know, mm -hmm. denial and anger, and you know, we go all the way through, we're still left with this like, but... What is it that I absolutely have to come to? And I think it's acceptance. Mm -hmm. We have to get to that point where we can accept what has occurred so that we can move on to what's left to be beautiful of our lives. 
And I think you're right in some ways when you have gone through so much trauma. I, I, I often say this, what more can be taken from me that I can't overcome? Uh-huh. And I think, you know, we have to surround ourselves with the support, the love. You know, I really do believe you have to do the work in your life. You know, I've done a lot of trauma work in my life. I didn't just wake up and I'm a CEO. I have done a lot of work in my life. Even going back to heal the relationship with my mother was a tremendous amount of work or healing any of those relationships in your life is a lot of work. And people would tell me, are you crazy? You know, why are you going back? I, I've had interviews say, I read your book and I felt like you kept returning to the pain. And I, and I thought that's so interesting because it was like uh, when you get a a back massage and it kind of hurts, yeah. but it also feels really good when you're through it and you're yeah. healed. Yeah. And so I really do think, and we are at a time, we are all going through a lot of trauma, watching the news, yeah. you know, seeing what's happening out there, how's this going to affect us, what's going to happen to us. And we do have to do the work in our life to stay calm and to get the support around us uh, that, that we need to get through this. So I want to talk specifically about some of the techniques that you use to actually calm your amygdala, to be able to, um, you know, center yourself where you're at, to, to, in order to actually have empathy for others, you kind of first have to have that compassion for yourself. So take me through when you're starting to be triggered by some of the things that you're seeing and witnessing and the trauma that's going all around the world. What do you do in your daily life to bring yourself back to some place of center and calm? Well, I mean, I definitely believe in a healthy lifestyle. And this is really hard for all of us because I just want to sit on the sofa and watch the news. But the, the healthiest thing is to get up and take a walk, to, yeah. to find somebody to talk to about how you're feeling. Don't just, don't just leave it you know, inside you while you're watching TV. Um, I am doing more mindfulness praying, um, reaching out. I've decided to, to reach out to my loved ones and take that time instead of obsessing over what I cannot control to take that time to reach out to people that I know either are lonely or feeling scared, letting them know that I'm here. Um, doing stuff for other people. I was, I had a lovely new author want me to write a review for her book and I thought, wonderful, I'll endorse this book. So I read her book, I endorsed her book and it was just wonderful to help this person. She was overjoyed. So I do get a lot of joy in doing stuff for others yeah. and I, I'm not a doctor or a nurse so I can't be out there helping but there's a lot of other things that I can be doing to create support for others which brings me a ton of joy. Yeah and I will just say the data is really clear on this. You don't have to have like a doctor title in front of you to be as helpful in these kind of moments. Just listening to people is sometimes the greatest gift that you can give someone is to be able to listen without judgment. Yeah, absolutely. And you're look what you're doing. You're sitting in your closet, making sure that this conversation <laughs> podcast happens. Well, I love your book. I think it's beautifully written. It's poetic. Yeah. And for me, it is a triumph when it when it comes to um, someone who has suffered as greatly as you have, because so many people find it as a convenient excuse for drugs, for alcohol, yeah. for, you know, binge watching TV. Well, look at look what happened to me. And yeah. yet, the conscientiousness that you you displayed every single day to say, no, I'm not going to live a life without beauty was so poignant to me. 
Oh, thank you. And at times I am neurotic in my, I mean, I'm really clear. Like I, I have taken my design to another level. That's just a little bit crazy. And at times (laughs) I would use that as my crutch. I mean, you have to identify the things in your life that you are turning to instead of getting healthy. But I really took, I took the opportunity in my life and when my mom was dying of cancer, for me to get healthy as well yeah. and doing the work with her has healed me yeah. and healed this trauma in addition to a lot of trauma work that I've done. I also um, want you just to talk about this because I know there's many people and I see this in people's Instagram posts and they're feel like, I can't look, I, I can't feel badly about this. I can't complain because other people have it so much worse. And, what, and this kind of comparative suffering to me is really problematic because until you allow yourself to accept the enormity of what you've gone through, to, to feel the feels, you can't have empathy for other people. It's and true. so what I've been trying to get people to understand is Stephanie's uh, trauma was completely different than mine, but it doesn't trump my trauma. No. Everyone has got to feel what they feel on that path to accepting how they can also have empathy for the other person. They have to give themselves the time to grieve. They have to give themselves the support system. And it's one thing that I really loved about your book is that you're saying to other people, whatever it is that's happened to you, acknowledge it, feel it, and then take the time to heal it. And share it. You know, one of my big messages, and, and I do want to, I do want to confirm. I really love what you're saying because people might read my book and think, "Oh God, I'm just now thankful for everything I have." I just read American yeah. Daughter. Right. Well, that's absolutely not the point. You can be as triggered and traumatized from a car accident as I was in my childhood because trauma. Everybody's brain is different. Yeah. Everybody connects to their pain in a different way. You cannot compare yourself. And I've had people try to say that. But that being said, you do also have to do the work in your life. And that's my message. Doing the work in your life and sharing your story. Yeah. That's what I want around American Daughter. I want to create a community of people doing like what you're doing where we're sharing our story. Because I've had multiple people write me and say, your story open the door for me to tell people this happened to me and this happened in my childhood. And I have countless emails from people just sharing their story of pain that they've been hiding. And an American daughter is giving them the freedom that they're not a broken person. They are as whole as anybody, but they need to do the work in their lives and they need to share and be heard with love and empathy. Yeah. I love that. I had um, this wonderful conversation with a neuroscientist the other day and he was saying, In these times when there is so little that we can do, especially those of us who've been told, stay home, you know, you're not on the front lines, please stay home. Yeah. He said, "Um, our main job is not to make things worse. When, When you can't control, when you can't do anything, our job is to not make things worse. And so, so many people that I know right now are doing this short term, I'm just going to smoke pot to get myself through this period. I'm just going to drink more through this period. Look, I'm just going to game, put on my headset and go into VR or AR. Mm. And that's great for the short term. But the habits that we need for long-term health are so much more complex. There's so much more about not going into ourselves. They're actually 
exterior habits, right? Mm-hmm. And so your habit, you know what? I'm feeling triggered. I'm feeling anxiety-ridden. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to do, you know, those, those are wonderful exterior things. Do you have any other things that you do? Absolutely. Well, I actually put together a whole list of goals of things that I want to do while I'm home. And, you know, I bought a, I bought a bunch of books. I've been reading books. I'm going to be doing, I want to be reviewing books. I'm, I'm going to be putting together some fun little videos of redesigning my house for people, you know, so kind of those great. fast forward little, you know, take that time to light a candle in your house or rearrange your furniture or do something creative. Look at Pinterest and say, I can do this in my home because I do agree that being in your home right now, if you don't love your home, it could be incredibly depressing for people. So maybe take this time to to find something that you love or, you know, like I said, you could read or is there a new skill set that you've been wanting to learn? You want to learn a language? Yeah. You you can do so much. You could come out of this with another language. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, what what is interesting, Stephanie, and um, I've been self-quarantined since March 8th because my daughter has um, an immunity disorder, which we just have to be really careful about. And so the first three weeks, I was just so resisting it, like, oh, my God, you know, how am I going to do this? And it's sort of like that adrenaline surge of preparing for the crisis, attempting to to manage everything. And I wasn't sleeping, of course, but very mindful about how I'm doing. I've done the same kind of work you have. And eventually, now, only now, what is it? Almost a month later, I'm beginning to see everything shift into acceptance mode. Slower in the morning. I can sit down and actually concentrate on a book. I'm loving this conversation rather than feeling pressed, you know? Yeah. So I do want people to kind of watch your own routine. How am I doing? Is this this busyness just because I'm trying to be busy or is this a mindful opportunity for me to nurture myself, you know? I love that because you're talking about this self-care and I think we do have to be really gentle with ourselves right now. I mean, this is all new. Everything feels really scary and unknown. Yeah. But I know we're going to get through this and we're going to come out stronger. We're going to have new habits. You know, we're going to be, you know, probably more compassionate even as a country, I'm hoping, because we need that. Yeah. So I I mean, I'm always the optimist. <laughs> For me, that really works. You know, I'm always thinking about what am I going to come out on the other side with? If I do get sick, how am I going to take care of myself? What's my plan for that? I'm going to come out of it. And so I'm always thinking about these things and kind of the best case scenario. And that's my coping mechanism. I think I had it as a child. I really do. I don't think I, I, I was very alone and there were times in my childhood where I was at the darkest points, like in my foster homes, and I talk about that, and I don't want to lighten the things that people have been through. But you still have to do that work and kind of cultivate that in your life and get that out and get that trauma, you know, and, and do that work in your life. I keep saying that. It sounds really boring. No, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, and I, I, want, I want you to be specific because when people do say that, they say you have to do the work and people are like, what does that mean? And I yeah. think like books like Vessel van der Koop, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, um, The yeah. Trauma Story, some of those incredible yeah. books that can help you understand what trauma does to our bodies, how we yeah. respond to it and how you can actually move through it. Do you have any other suggestions of books or people to listen to that you really love? 
Well, I feel like I love memoir. So I'm kind of a memoir junkie and I really do love to learn from other people's stories. But when yeah. I say though, I think the work is different for everybody. And I, I think people, I think if they look at their life, they can kind of know, is it, is it this relationship issue that you, you know, some relationships cannot be healed. I was very fortunate that my mom and I had this time yeah. while she was dying and I got to take care of her. And, and I would like to talk about that too, is how that healing happened, because there was a lot of work that I did to set us up for success. Yeah. But for this question, I have gone to trauma therapy and done EMDR. Yeah. And I've, I've gone back to all those childhood experiences that used to haunt me in the middle of the night and I used to have flashbacks. These were really, really horrible things. I did a lot of work with trauma work. I also physically went back to those places where those traumas happened. I went back to Mendocino. I went back to the motel. I went back to the foster home where I was held for a year and a half and I confronted those giant monsters in my life that used to just attack me. And um, I also, I had to do the work around all the shame. You know, I I literally was homeless all the way through up until I got married. And so I had so much shame. I was so embarrassed. Nobody nobody could even ask me where I came from. I would just double up with embarrassment, turn red and change the subject. So there was a lot of layers of trauma that I actually had to work through. But I had to find out what that was in my own life. And I made the decision that I'm coming clean. I'm going to People are going to know where I came from. People are going to know this crazy story. And now I can just, you can just ask me how I'm doing. I don't have to, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. So so great. (laughs) I'll tell you, let me tell you, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Talk to me about that, how you set up the, not a formula, but definitely the parameters for it to be a safe um, and, and also hopeful relationship with your mother toward the end. Well, I want to talk a little bit about mental illness. So in my mom's mental illness, my mom was pretty severe. She she was schizophrenic. She had dissociative, which is she had three different personalities. She was diagnosed bipolar. I think when you get to that level, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm just a daughter who lived this. And when it gets to that level, it all seems to kind of run into one thing, one big mental illness, whether she was paranoid or her different personality. So my mom was also in and out of psych wards, up to a hundred psych wards in my, in my life. And I know that because I got guardianship of her and I was able to go to those hospitals and say, how many times has my mom placed here by mm-hmm. police order or a doctor's order two physician hold, they call it. And one, one of her psych wards said, she's been here 25 times. That is just one of many. So my mom was very severely mentally ill, thrown back out to live, you know, either in her home, she was put in jail. I only could get access to 15 different times that she was put into jail. When my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I said, I need to know what happened. How did this happen to you? How did I have this bad childhood? You couldn't just talk to her. I also had to take guardianship of her, which I, which the county actually asked me to do and they paid wow. for it. Like they were like, please take her off. Off. Please get us off here. <laughs> so I, I took a risk. It was a very scary risk. I took guardianship of her. I put her in this beautiful home where she was cared for. I made sure she had her medications. I made sure she was fed. She had exercise. She was surrounded by love and I was by her side the entire time. So I created this environment that she really needed and that I became her mother in a way. And I created the success for her. I mean, when you have this kind of mental illness, you can't just be let to live on the street and live on your own. You just end up 
somewhere you shouldn't be, which is what happened to her. So creating this environment for her created the, the environment for us to do the healing work that we did in our life yeah. because she couldn't run. And here's the amazing thing, Sheila. My mom had three different personalities. And by the time closer when she passed, she didn't ever act in those personalities anymore because she had processed the oh rape with me. She didn't need to be that oh little girl. Oh my God, this, this just made me very emotional. <laughs> so she stopped actually going she's, into her different personalities. It's almost like you did the work of a thousand psychiatrists. Because we talked about it every, well, I did these interviews for actually, it was a couple years because the reason I called them interviews is because she wouldn't just talk. And if I set this up as an interview, it gave her the control do you know what I mean? Wow, like you are in control. So my mom felt like she was in control. So she could say interviews over and I'd say, okay, interviews over. But wow. if we were just conversing, it would go into, it could go into yelling or it could go uh -huh. into high emotions. But if I was interviewing her, she felt in control and then she could talk about it. So that was kind of the tool that I used for her in addition to setting up her in a very successful environment wow. and giving her the love and everything. So that's kind of... That's what it just, you know, Stephanie, <laughs> it just also, um, it really struck me the way you were describing meals and caring for her and making her bed and bringing, you know, bringing her medicine is that you parented her like you weren't parented. You yeah. gave it in giving it to your mother. You gave yourself that gift of understanding what it is to nurture and to be nurtured. And yeah. so if you haven't had it just by recreating it, like I love the stability that I've given my daughter. Like I yeah. love it because of course <laughs> I haven't had a stable life. And so we can keep moving beyond what it was that we were patterned to believe we could achieve. Right. What it was that we believe, you know, was our fate in life. We can keep moving beyond that. Exactly. And I think when you think of a mother, you do think of nurturing. And I am a nurturing, loving mother to my kids. And I had that capability. Yeah. But I longed for my mother. I longed to be mothered by my mother. Uh -huh. But in giving her that love that I never got, I did get that back from her. Strange, in the yeah. end, I had a relationship with her. It was very short, but I had a relationship with her that I always really wanted and I dreamed of. But it is a, it's a triumph of a book, Stephanie, and I'm so excited. Can we, can we share the big news about what's going to happen this fall? Yeah, it's, it's not out and about, but... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, so it just got bought by HarperCollins, and so it's going to be... Yay. Yeah, yeah, and they're talking about movie rights, and uh, we're working on the movie, and it's going to be republished in uh, September. American Daughter. <laughs> Stephanie, I have so enjoyed getting to know you and talking today from our closet sessions. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to see you, and I hope we get to share coffee face-to-face -face one time. Oh, no social it. distancing involved, okay? Yes, that would yeah. be wonderful. Thank you for having me. Yeah, take good care, Stephanie. <laughs>